Long ago, there was an art collector who wanted the perfect picture of peace. Unable to find a, a painting that satisfied him, he decided to announce a contest so that he could find this masterpiece that he wanted. And artists from all over the place were intrigued by this contest, and especially the, the big cash prize that went to the winner. And so paintings from all over were sent in and submitted for this contest. And finally, the day of judging arrived. And one picture after another, the judges unveiled these peaceful scenes. And as they did this, the crowd that had gathered there politely applauded and kind of commented among themselves. And this contest went on until finally there were only two pictures left. And as the judge uncovered the first of these two pictures, a silent hush fell over the crowd. It was a, a painting of a, of a mere smooth lake, reflecting all the beautiful scenery around it, all the, the tall uh, spruce trees and, and the mountains in the distance, and the soft evening sky was all reflected on this smooth lake. And on the grassy shores around this lake, sheep gazed completely undisturbed. Certainly this picture would win, at least everyone thought. But there was still one more picture to go. And as the, the judges unveiled this final picture, the crowd gasped. They were kind of surprised to see this. Was this a joke? Was this really supposed to be a picture of peace? A tumultuous waterfall cascaded down these sharp and jagged rocks. The crowd could almost feel its cold and, and penetrating spray. And uh, dark uh, gray clouds were up ahead, just looking like they were waiting to explode with lightning and wind and rain. And in the midst of all this thundering noise and bitter cold, a, a tree, a spindly tree, clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. And a branch from this tree reached out into the, the fast-moving water as if it was foolishly trying to experience the full power of that water. But in the elbow of that branch, a tiny bird was sitting in her nest. Content and undisturbed by her surroundings, she sat there on her eggs. It was almost as if she was completely ignorant of all of her surroundings. With her eyes closed and her wings spread out to protect her little ones, she displayed a peace that transcended all that turmoil around her. What turmoil do you see around you? What turmoil do you notice in the world? We certainly don't have to look very far, just watch the news. Shocking acts of violence, natural disasters, a global financial crisis. And these things are just on top of our own personal struggles and difficulties, the problems that we all face in our own individual lives. And as if our, our physical struggles weren't enough, we also have our spiritual struggles. Our sinful nature and the devil are constantly bombarding us with temptations. And with all these difficulties and all these struggles going on around us and within us, we might feel sometimes like we're hanging at the edge of a, of a fast-moving waterfall, clinging on to a, a spindly branch for our dear life. But Jesus' resurrection, it changes everything. It changes everything completely. We, it gives us peace. That Jesus rose from the dead, that gives us peace that transcends all earthly turmoil. It gives us real peace, lasting peace, peace that the world cannot give us. On that first Easter Sunday evening, the disciples were facing a lot of uncertainty. Their loving teacher and master had just been ripped suddenly from their lives. They witnessed his brutal murder. 
And the disciples had to wonder, well, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our safety? Are these same Jewish leaders, are they now going to come after us? Are they going to come after his disciples, wanting to rid themselves of all talk of Jesus once and for all? And we can understand why they were locked behind those doors. They were afraid for their lives. But the disciples could have spared themselves all this fear if they weren't so filled with doubt. All day long since the early morning, more and more reports had been coming in that Jesus had risen from the dead. It started out early that morning when when those women went to Jesus' tomb, expecting to anoint his body with spices, but instead they found the tomb empty. And as they came back to report this to the disciples, they saw the risen Lord himself. And then Peter and John, hearing this, they wanted to find out what was going on, so they too, they ran to the tomb and they found it completely empty. And then there's those, those disciples on the road to Emmaus, who came back and reported to the disciples, those other disciples gathered in that room, that they had seen Jesus. They walked with them. They ate with them. But despite all of these eyewitnesses, the doubts of those disciples persisted. They refused to believe it. They, they marked these reports off as, as foolishness. And then there's Thomas, that disciple who, fairly or not, will always be remembered for his persistent doubting. Now, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to his disciples the first time. But even after the disciples told Thomas, Thomas, we saw Jesus, he was here with us, we ate with him, we we talked with him, we even touched him. But Thomas refused to believe it. And it seems strange to us because these men were his friends. They had no reason to lie to us. They were reliable eyewitnesses. But Thomas felt that his own two eyes were more reliable than their 20. And so instead of believing, Thomas said it it can't be true. In fact, Thomas set up his own criterion for believing. Thomas wanted the resurrection proven to him on his terms. In order for, for him to believe, Thomas said that he must not only see Jesus, but he must be able to reach out and touch the wounds in his hands and his side. Unless this happened, he would never believe it. Instead of being filled with with peace on that first Easter Sunday evening, the disciples were filled with agony. They were filled with agony because of all their fears and their doubts. What keeps you from being filled with that peace, from overflowing with that peace that the risen Lord brings to you? You probably have to look no farther than that which stood in the way for the disciples. We all have our own fears and our own doubts. We have these fears and doubts because we have that same sinful flesh and we have that same devil that wars against that peace. The devil wants to rob us of the full assurance of the peace of the Easter story. He wants those doubts to creep into our minds. He wants us to doubt Jesus' resurrection. He wants us to doubt our resurrection and ultimately our own salvation. And don't we sometimes, too, have that same arrogant attitude of Thomas? We have that that same attitude that, that God needs to prove himself to me as I demand. How God wishes to reveal himself to me, that's not good enough. We think that, that we need visible, physical proof that God loves us. We demand visible and physical proof that our loved one is in heaven, or that we, too, will one day be in heaven. But this arrogant attitude, it makes us out to be the judge and the jury, and it puts God on trial, saying, God, prove yourself to me. 
But this attitude, that's just a sign that we have doubts floating around in our hearts and our minds. And these doubts, they just lead to more fears. And these fears and these worries, they rob us of that joy of Easter. We might think, I know Jesus rose from the dead, but I got a pile of bills at home and there's rumors of layoffs at work. Or, yeah, I know the tomb was empty, but Easter's over now. And my friend or family member just got bad news from the doctor. So unless that empty tomb can cure cancer, I have other problems right now. And Jesus knew that fear, and he knew the doubts of his disciples. And so Jesus lovingly, he came to them, and he brought them his peace. Jesus came to them while they were gathered together in that empty room. And while they're behind those locked doors, Jesus appeared to them. And what were the first words from our crucified and risen Savior? He said to them, Peace be with you. This is a common greeting, but coming from Jesus, it means so much more. When our Savior from sin and death says this, he's actually giving us that peace. And we can imagine how overjoyed the disciples were to hear this. The disciples, remember from the Good Friday, they, they all deserted Jesus. When the soldiers came to arrest him, they all fled. They all got out of there. Even Peter, who promised Jesus, Lord, even if all the others fall away, I never will. And Peter blatantly denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, Peace be with you. With these words, Jesus is telling them, I forgive you. And Jesus also comes to us, and he offers us that same forgiveness and that same peace that comes with it. Jesus comes to us, and, and he forgives us for our sins. Until that full punishment, that full payment for our sins was made, we would be separated from God. We could not be with our just and no peace between us. Because a just and a holy God, he demands just that. He demands holiness. He demands justice. But in those wounds in Jesus' hands inside, we see the payment that our sins demand. And in those wounds, we see that payment made in full. I recently tried to pay off a debt I owed someone by writing them a check. But I forgot that you actually have to have money in the bank to back up that check. And so, of course, that check bounced, and I got a letter from the bank scolding me for this. When Jesus rose from the dead on that Easter morning, that is proof to us. It assures us that that payment that Jesus made on that cross, that it was accepted by God. The check cleared. The debts that our sins ran up before God, they were paid in full by, the, by Jesus there on the cross. They're completely gone, erased, and forgotten. And because Jesus forgives us for our sins, we have peace with, with God. We have the assurance that there's peace between us and our holy God, and there's no greater peace to have. And Jesus also gives us peace from all of our fears, too. There are two things, really, that all people, their human nature of all people, universally fears. And that's suffering and death. Because suffering, that equals pain and sadness. And death, to many people, that's viewed as the great unknown or the final end. And so it would be for us, too. Except, again, Jesus rising from the dead, that changes everything. Because Jesus rose, we know, we have the assurance that we too will rise from the dead. 
We have no need to fear death. Death is not an unknown end. It's not an end at all. In fact, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of our eternal life spent with God. The Christian funeral, that's no time for sadness. It's time for joy and peace. And because we know that this life is not the end, we have peace in our sufferings too. Because we know that even our sufferings that we face in this life, they're all a part of God's plan to bring us home to heaven. And we know that God did not just create us for our life now, for our life here in this sin-ruined world. God has bigger and better plans for us. God will raise us from the dead and he will take us to be with him in his perfect heavenly presence. And there we will be perfect and absolutely holy in every way. That's what God wants for us. That's what God created us to be. And Jesus didn't just appear to the disciples once and say, okay, good, now you know I've risen. Now we've got to get to heaven. No, Jesus kept coming to them. He kept coming to them and strengthening their faith because Jesus wanted them to be assured of that peace of his resurrection. And we see such patience and love from Jesus, especially as he dealt with Thomas. Thomas was robbing himself of this peace. He was robbing himself of it because he refused to believe. Instead of believing, he was making all these outrageous demands of proof. But what do we see our loving Savior do? Did he chastise Thomas? Thomas, you fool. This is your fault for not being there when I came the first time. Thomas, this is your fault for denying all these eyewitnesses that I've given you. No, our loving Savior, he, he gently and he patiently agrees to Thomas's demands. Thomas, see my hands. Reach out and put your hand in my side. Thomas, stop denying yourself of that peace I come to give you. Stop doubting and believe. And Jesus comes to us again and again, and he offers us this peace again and again. He comes to us through the Lord's Supper. In this sacred sacrament, we see his wounds. We see the price he paid for our sins. In fact, he invites us to more than just see it. He invites us to touch and to taste it, to taste that price that he paid for us. In that meal, that meal of the Lord's Supper, he says to you, take and eat. This is my body which I gave for you. Take and drink. This is my blood which I shed on the cross for the forgiveness of all your sins. Take it. Be assured of that forgiveness and have that peace. And he comes to us again and again also through his written word. And we know that his word has power. And so even though we have not physically seen Jesus, we still believe. And Jesus shows us that same patience that he showed to his disciples, his first disciples. He shows that same patience and love to us. He keeps coming to us with his message of peace because he wants it to triumph over all those fears and doubts that we have. He says to you, just as he said to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Jesus comes to us to fill us up with his peace because he wants us to then go and take that peace out into the world. He fills us up like a fountain of peace and joy that overflows out into the world. When Jesus appeared to his disciples, he said to them, Just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And Jesus sends us out, just as he sends out those first disciples. Back before cell phones and the internet and all these instant communications, 
if a king wished to, to deliver a message of peace to a, a nation that he was at war with, he would usually send out an ambassador in his stead. And this ambassador would go and proclaim the, the king's peace to this other nation. And this is similar to the calling we have. We are to be God's ambassadors. We are to carry God's message of peace out into the world. We get to tell the world that you have peace with God because all your sins are forgiven. We get to tell the world that you have peace, even joy in death, because Jesus triumphed over the grave. This last week, I had the opportunity to, to lead a, a Bible study on the Easter service at a nursing home in town here. And at this nursing home, there's a woman named Debbie. Debbie is rather young. She's probably only in her late 20s. But she's at this nursing home because she has a handicap. She's in a wheelchair, and, and the use of her hands is even very limited. But we were going through this Bible study, and we were discussing that that when we're risen from the dead, that our bodies will be absolutely perfect, even better than they were at any point in this life. And as we were discussing this, Debbie spoke up, saying that, that she prayed to God every day, and that she could not wait until that day when she would not need her wheelchair anymore in heaven. Even though Debbie has been in a wheelchair her whole life, even though she struggled with even the simplest tasks, she had peace. She had more peace than many of the physically and mentally blessed people in the world. She had this peace because Jesus rose from the dead. This is the joy. This is the peace of the Easter message. This life isn't all there is. And this life is a, is a blessing from God. But the greatest gift, the greatest blessing, that's yet to come. And that's eternal life in heaven. Amen. And this peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guards your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your risen Savior. Amen.